0: week, and then while I'm on vacation on um, July 11th, Dusty will be bringing the message on the church of Laodicea, so he'll be finishing up this series um, the, the, the first, or no, 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 I'm all mixed up. July 11th is going to be Tony Springer preaching, and then the we got that, he will be closing up this series, so um, yeah, so I am, I'm, I'm all out of whack. <laughs> you know, but, but as I was praying with uh, Bill Stolven this morning, he's like, dude, he's like, Holy Spirit leads, man, and I'm like, I know he does, so it was my intention to close it next week, it's God's intention not to, so um, we are in this series, and the takeaway in this series has been this, even though Jesus is speaking to specific churches at a specific time, 2,000 years ago, and they had specific, deep, you know, things going on in the churches, for us today, we want to look at what was going on in those churches and ask, what do we need to know? What do we need to know for, from those churches for us today? And not just as a church, corporately, but as a person, as an individual believer. And so today, we want to continue in that theme of what do we need to know? And we are looking in Revelation chapter 3 from a church called in, the, in a city called Philadelphia. And so let's look at a few things that we need to know from this particular church. And so do me a favor, write this down, whether on your outline, in your notebook, whatever you want to do. But write this first point down. The first thing we need to know is this. No one enters God's heavenly kingdom except through Christ. No one enters God's heavenly kingdom except through Christ. So. Jesus is speaking to the Apostle John as we have seen throughout the churches that we have looked at. And he begins there in verse 7 of chapter 3, speaking to the Apostle John. Jesus says this, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Let me stop there. Let's talk about this city. I've I've talked about each city and what it was. And let's talk about the city of Philadelphia. And no, it is not in Pennsylvania. All right? (laughs) This church, Philadelphia, was actually established and, and founded by, am I on, can you hear me? Okay. It, it was actually founded by a, a, a guy, a, a, a Greek, and his name was actually Philadelphia' And, and he was like, well, if I'm founding the city, I'm calling it after me. He named it Philadelphia. And the city of Philadelphia was actually formed and created as a Greek city in the Asian provinces of of what we know as modern-day Turkey. And so this this city of Philadelphia was actually supposed to be a city that was going to move forward Greek language, Greek culture, Greek way of life. And that was the intention um, until the Roman army. And then when the Roman army started moving across the Asian province, the Roman army took it over. actually a centralized, very important city because Rome used it as a a, a hub to advance the kingdom through and push to the east. So just like St. Louis is called the gateway to the west, Philadelphia for the Roman Empire was actually called the gateway to the east. And so it became a very important city for for the Roman Empire. Now, that's all we really know about that the, the particular city but that's not what we it's not the city that's important it's what Jesus now says about himself and so Jesus goes on to say to John and he says the words of him who has oh, I'm the, the, I got to go down and so he says the words of the holy one the true one who has the key of david who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one opens now Jesus is describing himself again, as he has done in every church that we've studied. He describes himself. He introduces himself. And he is introducing himself to this church of Philadelphia, beginning with this, this title called The Holy One. He, he says, I am the Holy One. Now, last week, I talked about, I said, it's why it's so important to listen to and hear biblical teaching. exegetical biblical preaching, and when I mean by exegetical biblical preaching, I mean, hey, um, let's go through a text and break it apart, okay, because I sat and wondered how many Christians sit in churches, and and they hear about Jesus being holy, but don't understand it, because they're not really taught it. That's too much of a biblical word to really teach and break down. So we'll just say Jesus is holy. And so what we do is then when, when we read the Bible and we read that Jesus is holy, we just accept it. Okay, he's holy. But do we understand what that word means? Okay? Because understanding the holiness of Christ or even the, as, as this is actually, again, showing him as God the holiness of God. When you understand the holiness of God, you understand your predicament. Because the holiness of Christ shows you and I have a problem. You see, that word holy, it means that Jesus is identifying himself. When he says, I'm the holy one, he's identifying himself as absolutely sinless, Absolutely unstained, unblemished, flawless, and perfect. The word holy actually needs to be consecrated and set apart. Okay? So Jesus is saying, I am sinless, perfect, and set apart. So the question's got to be asked, set apart from what? He's set apart from sin. It simply means that Jesus and sin cannot coexist. Jesus and sin cannot be together. Jesus and sin cannot be in the same room together. Sin cannot be in his presence. Okay? And that creates a problem. And the problem is defined in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. In Hebrews chapter 7, it's describing Jesus as a high priest. And it says this in verse 26 of chapter 7. It says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, that high priest is Jesus, who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Notice, holy, innocent, unstained, See, that's the problem. When you understand the holiness of Christ, you understand sin cannot be in his presence because he is separated from sin. And if he is separated from sin, guess who he is separated from? Everybody just do this. He is separated from you. Okay? Why? Because the holiness, the Sinlessness and the absolute perfection of Christ requires one thing sinlessness, holiness, and absolute perfection from you. And that's a problem, isn't it? <clears throat> because Romans chapter 3 tells us this. No one. Everybody say no one. No one. So no one, guess what that includes? You and me. No one is righteous. eternal abode of God. It's where the glory of God abides. And so that's the eternal heaven. That's the eternal kingdom of God. And because we are sinful, we are separated from that. We can't be in the presence of Christ because He is holy. He is sinless. He is perfect. And we are not. And that creates a problem. Now before I, I'm not going to give you the solution. I'm going to let us sit on the but I'm going to come back to the answer. I'm coming back to good news. Okay, I'm going to wrap it around, and I'm coming back through the back door, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give us the good news here in a second. Okay, So Jesus defines himself as the holy one, but he also defines himself as the true one. Now, I'm not going to define that because the true one is the answer to the predicament. So I'm going to come back and define the, whole, the true one here in a few seconds. So let's look at the next thing he describes himself as. He's the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Okay, see, this is one of those verses where if you were just reading this, you let's be honest. If you were just reading this in your personal time, honesty in church, okay, it's okay to be honest. How many of you would just read that and just buzz right by it? He has the key of David and he shuts, opens. I don't know what that means. Let's just move on, okay? Most of us would do that. And not understand what that means, okay? So when Jesus says, I am the one who holds the key of David, who shuts and no one opens, and who opens and no one shuts, he's talking about referring back to King David, okay? When King David was, when he was finally king, he was the king of the, the, the nation of Judah, and Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. And that's where David's throne was, was in Jerusalem, And around Jerusalem, there was a huge wall. And within that... Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives us a parable to show us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Matthew chapter 25, 25 and this is a parable of ten virgins. So starting in chapter 25, verse 1, 20 he says, "...that the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins..." Who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Alright? Now, this is giving, he's giving you a picture. The bridegroom is him, and the virgins are people. Alright? And he's like, the kingdom of heaven is based on this. I'm the bridegroom, you are the virgins. And he says, five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wives took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wives answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy yourselves Buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch there. not ready for heaven. The people who are ready for heaven are going to be up there, are going to go, and the door will be open for them. But people who are not ready for heaven will stand at the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment, and they will be judged. They weren't ready. And the door will be shut. if you're ready. Well, this is where the true one comes into play. Jesus says, I'm the holy one, and I have the key of David, I open and I shut. But he also says, I'm the true one. Now when he says, I am the true one, he is not saying I am a true one. truth. No, all truth. I am he. Okay. He's like, if you want to know truth, get it from me. If you want to know the truth about whether you are ready or not for my eternal kingdom, you need we get our church, you say the right churchy words, you you give to charities, you do, do good, you just do these things, you get to heaven. If you just believe in God, or you believe in heaven, you'll get to heaven. Now, all of those sound right and they all sound good. But they're all absolutely wrong. Because there's only one place for truth. And it's Jesus. He says, I am the true one. I am absolute truth. So we need to know if Jesus is absolute truth, then what he has said is what? Absolute truth. Well, here's what Jesus says. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through John chapter three verse three. Jesus says, "Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven." John three eighteen. Jesus says, "Whoever believes in the Son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God." In John three thirty six, Jesus says, "Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son." Shall not see life. Jesus makes it very clear. I am the true one. Is my mic? Now it's on. So you haven't been recording me the entire message, have you? Oh, man. I hate that. I could have swore I just said, you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. No, you weren't. You weren't hearing me. So, okay, because was it flashing on this screen or just back there? I got to just tell you what I'm seeing from up here. I keep seeing on that back screen big words flashing. Turn on your mic. And I'm like, I'm, not, I'm battling up here going, my mic is on. Turn on your mic. Nope, mic wasn't on. Now it is. So, Tony, thumbs up to you, man. Now, where was I at? Man, I'm telling you. Okay, so, Jesus is telling us, and he's giving us the truth about how you and I get into heaven, about how you and I enter into the eternal kingdom of God, and that is we have got to have faith and belief in him alone. Nothing else. And that's why... Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us this. It says, since we have been justified by faith. That word justified means declared right. Okay? You're justified, it means you are declared righteous. Now, you remember earlier I said that Romans chapter 3 says, no one is righteous. So meaning in your own power, in your own ways, in your own thinking, in your own whatever, you are declared unrighteous because you can't make yourself righteous. But Romans chapter 5 says we are justified, declared righteous by faith. And because we have been declared righteous by faith, it goes on and says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the connection? It's through our Lord Jesus Christ, not through my good works, not through my belief in whatever, not through anything, through Jesus Christ, by faith in him, I am declared righteous. I have peace with God. And then it goes on and he says, through him, meaning through Christ, we have obtained access. There it is. We have obtained an access by faith into this grace. Grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve. And what he gives us is eternal life, an eternal kingdom. So we have gained access into this grace, into this eternal life, into this eternal kingdom by faith in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Remember I said in Romans chapter 3, because we are sinners, we're separated from God, and we fall short of the glory of God. That's that eternal access because of my sin. But when I put my faith in Christ, when I believe in him alone, when I put, I just, nothing else. Jesus, I trust in you. You are my salvation. Guess what I am? justified before God, made right. I have peace with God. And now I have access to the eternal kingdom. And I rejoice because now I see the glory of God. You see, before, no glory of God. But because of Christ, glory of God. And listen to me. That's the good news. That's what's called the good news of the gospel. And I'm telling you, today, whether you are watching me online or you're here today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never asked him into your life, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Be my Savior. I'm telling you, you do not have access to the eternal kingdom of God. The door will be closed to you the only way that door is open the only way you have access to the throne to the glory of god the heavenly kingdom is through the door of jesus christ and if you don't know christ as savior i'm going to encourage you after the message after when we're all finished with everything i am going to have a couple elders up here i would encourage you to come up and tell them i don't think i know christ and I need him as my savior and pray with them. But that's the first thing we need to know is that no one enters God's heavenly kingdom except through Christ. Here's the second thing. Recognize opportunities for ministry and witnessing. We need to recognize opportunities for ministry and witnessing. Now look at verse 8. He says, I know your works. Behold. Now some of you may have a version where instead of saying behold, it says look or see. He says, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. That open door represents an opportunity It's like Jesus says, I have opened a door of opportunity for you. Opportunity for what? A a new job? An opportunity for marriage? What's he talking about? It's an opportunity for ministry and witnessing. This church is in a pagan city. and, and, And Jesus has put it there for a reason. And he's like, I've opened a door for you, church. I've opened a door for you for an opportunity to win people to Christ to bring people to know me and to advance my kingdom for ministry and for witnessing. And it's no different for you and I today. Jesus opens up opportunities for you and I for opportunities for ministry and witnessing. A few examples. A few weeks ago, we had a ministry fair out there in the foyer. Every ministry in this church lined up at a table I many of you know, that's a door of opportunity that just opened up, an opportunity of ministry. Some of you walked into that foyer, you saw the opportunity, you signed up for ministry. Some of you walked into that foyer, walked past the tables, and walked out the church. And you missed the opportunity. You see, that was an opportunity for ministry. Maybe, maybe you hear about a, fo- a food train, f- uh, food, is that what it's called, food Meal train, not a food train. I, I belly up to the food train, I guess. <laughs> but you hear about a, a meal train. That's an opportunity. Maybe you, you hear about a, someone needs a financial gift. You take the opportunity to bless them financially. You take the opportunity, you hear about someone going through, um, maybe going into the hospital, you know, um, death in the family. You just take an opportunity to write a, a card of encouragement, and you send it to them. It's an opportunity for ministry. Maybe you have a coworker and they've gone through a divorce, going through cancer, and they come up to you. They know you're a Christian, and they're talking to you. You have an opportunity maybe to pray with them. You have an opportunity to share your faith with a friend, an opportunity to invite someone to church. You see, opportunities are all around us all the time. But here's the key to seeing an opportunity. See, when Jesus says, behold, he's like, open your eyes. See the opportunity. But here's the thing. How many of you know it's not just about seeing the opportunity? Because you can see the opportunity all day long, right? What do you have to do? Walk into it. If the door, if Jesus is saying, man, I've opened a door for opportunity for you. The door is open. But guess what you and I have to do? Walk through it, okay? Okay. Here's a great prayer. When, when I Before I was pastor, so we're talking many years ago, for seven years I worked as a correctional officer. And every night before I would go into work, I would sit in my car and I would pray a simple little prayer. God, open a door for opportunity for me to witness to someone tonight. But God, when you open up that door, push me on the backside so I go through it. Because the reality is, we just don't go through the door. Jesus has opened up our opportunities for us. He's opened up opportunities for us to be able to go in the door and opportunities to take advantage of something to say, wow, an opportunity has been set right before me. I'm gonna jump into it. Over the past year, year and a half, you know, with COVID and everything, I look at certain people in this church. When opportunity arose, they jumped right into it. I think of Ron Larson when I said, hey, we, we need a new leader for our coffee vine ministry. And within a week, Ron had texted me and said, I'll do it. He saw the opportunity, and he walked into it. I think of Emily Kenny. Every week, she comes up here by herself, except for yesterday, she coerced her... Cousins to come clean the church, but we we had a need. I announced it and I said, hey, um, we we have lost our cleaning lady. Um, We need someone who would be willing to step in and clean the church. I'll do it. Not only that, she does it with gusto. She loves it. She enjoys it. I don't know why, but she does. (laughs) But she saw an opportunity. I'll take that opportunity. I look at Dustin and Sarah DeCarol. Dustin has stepped up. He stepped up huge for, I mean, so many people gone. So many ushers gone, greeters gone. And he was like weekly just doing what needed to be done. He saw the opportunity. He, he stepped right in. We, we, needed, we needed counters for, for offerings. Sarah, every week, I'll help you out. Ron Robinson, I'll help you out. Saw the opportunity, stepping into it. You see, that's what it's about. Jesus opens up doors for opportunities for you and I to minister and to witness. But the question is, are we stepping into them? Because he opens the door. Now, here's what's, notice what he says. Notice he says, I have set before you. Jesus opens the door. He sets the opportunities before us. So many times I think we, we get the idea that I've got to manufacture this thing. You know, that we think it's up to us. Now, here's what's great about Jesus opening the door and setting it before us. Because when we see the opportunity and we, set, we step into it, guess who gets the glory? Jesus does. Man, it's not about how much money I have. It's not about how much influence I have. It's not about my eloquence. It's not about my creativity, my intelligence. Man, this is how, how, no, it's not about you and me. It is all about saying, you know what? I'm gonna step into this because Jesus opened the door and when something happens and something takes, man, who's getting the glory? Jesus is. And that's what we wanna be doing. We wanna step into these opportunities and take advantage of these open doors because he gets the glory. And then lastly, here's the third thing we need to know. With Christ, small things can make a big impact. With Christ, small things can make a big impact. So starting there with verse 8 again, he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. I know that you have little power. Let me stop right there. He says, I know you have little power. Some of you may have a version where he says, I know you have little strength. The idea of little power or little, little strength, he's not talking about physical power or physical strength. He, he's not talking about physical weakness. He's not talking about being tired and exhausted. He's actually talking about the, the, the fact that this church was a small church. They didn't have a lot of power. They didn't have a lot of impact. They didn't have a lot of nothing. Okay, he's like, I know you're small. But guess what he's doing? He's commending them. You see, in fact, it, when you go down in the rest of the verse, there in verse 9, he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. He's talking about the Jews in the city. He says, You say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. I've read, See, I, there's parentheses. There in the beginning of verse eight, he says, I know your works. There at the end of verse nine, I want them to know I love you. It's like two big parentheses. Jesus going, I know you're a small church and I know you don't have a lot of impact. I know you're not changing the world. I know you can't do a lot, but man, I know you and I love you. <sighs> He's like, you know what? The Jews may be ha- hassling you. They may be harassing you because to the Jews... This Christian church was nobody. The Jews thought they had all the rights on God. So they're probably looking at this Christian church going, you're nobody. You're nothing. We're somebody. And Jesus is like, nah, no, no. You're somebody. And I I read read this, and I I think about this. You know, Jesus is saying, I commend you because you're small. But here's why he was commending them. Look at verse 8. So he says, I've set this door. He says, I know that you have little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You see, Jesus is really commending them because he's like, I know you're small. I know you're being harassed. I know you're being persecuted. I know you haven't had a huge impact. I know you're not changing the world. I know compared to a lot of other churches, man, maybe you're just doing a little bit, but you know what? You're not giving up. You're not throwing in the towel. You're not, you're not quitting. Man, you're trusting me. You're staying with it. You're doing what you believe in me. You're believing my word, and you're not quitting. And he's commending them. You know, this church didn't have great size, it didn't have great strength, it didn't have great ability, but it, what it had was great dependability. I like what one commentator says. He says it this way. He says, a little strength faithfully used means more than much strength flashily and fleshly used. And I think this is why some people don't walk through open doors. Why some people, they see the, the, the opportunity right before them. And we don't step through because so many people feel, I'm too small. I'm inadequate. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough skill. I don't have a fill in the blank. I don't have it. Okay? And so many people, how many of you, and, and don't, 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 don't say anything, but how many of you are afraid to witness because you think you'll mess it up? If I say something, I'm going to open my mouth, and I'll probably get the gospel wrong. What if if I don't tell the whole Romans road like it should? What if I don't really present the gospel like, you know, here's the thing. um, It's not up to you. It really isn't. God can take all of your mess up as long as you just don't say, well, no, Jesus didn't die on a cross. You're okay. I'm telling you, if you could just get out and go, You know what? I I don't know everything, but here's what I do know. Jesus died on a cross for us for our sin, and we believe in him. He'll save us. Jesus can take your simplicity. Jesus can take your inadequacy. He can take your, your smallness, and as long as you just go, God, help me. I depend on you. Jesus can use you, and he can make a great impact through you. All right? It is not about who you are, what you have. It's all about taking what you have, who you are, and giving it to Christ. That's why I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, Paul even understood. See, you and I, we look at Paul from today's version and, and, from our, and go, wow, Paul was something. No, Paul was like, I was nothing. He's like, I was so weak. He's like, but that's okay. Let my weaknesses be my weaknesses because when I know I'm weak, I know I'm strong because Christ is upon me. And man, that's how I'm going to minister. That's how I'm going to go. That's how I'm going to serve. And that's how I win people to Christ. It's not about who I am. Because Paul realized everything that I was means nothing for what I can do. Because all of my stuff in the past can't bring anybody to Christ because he was this famous, well-known, educated Jew. And all of his education, all of his, everything is meaningless. He's like, I have nothing. And maybe that's where you are. You just think, I have nothing. Listen, the reality is, there's gonna be obstacles all the time when it comes to ministry and witnessing. You're gonna find there can be the the enemy is gonna to try to convince you of every reason why you shouldn't minister and why you shouldn't witness. He's gonna tell you you're not smart enough. You're not glamour enough. You're, 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 you're not you don't speak well enough. You you don't have enough money, you don't have enough, whatever it is, we're gonna use that as an excuse. Paul writes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, he's writing to the church and he says to the church in Corinth, he says, I will stay in Ephesus for a wide door of effective work is open for me. And there are many adversaries. Paul's like, there's open doors and there's problems. There's reasons to witness and there's reason not to. But Paul was like, you know what? I can see all the adversaries, but that's not going to stop me. Because my trust is in Christ. you see, my unbelief sees my inadequacies. my unbelief sees my lack, my inability, it sees my smallness. but my faith says, yeah, that's who I am I, I, I don't I, I'm not very educated I, I, I may not know the Bible very well I I, I may not have a lot but Man, if Jesus is upon me and through me and working in me, he can do this thing. And if he holds the keys, he's in control anyway. Listen, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to witnessing, changing lives is not up to you and me. When I get up here on every Sunday, I don't know what's going to happen when I preach. Like today, I gave a gospel message. And I said, if there's anyone who doesn't know Christ, come forward. You know what? Guess how many people may not come forward today? But is that up to me? No. Some of you, all of you are listening to this word, and you all could go home, and it can go in one ear and right out the other. But that's not up to me. I have done everything I can faithfully do, and I'm trusting in God and in the Holy Spirit to do the rest. So guess what? When you step up to the plate, when you step up to that plate, and you realize, man, I have an opportunity here to swing the bat. The door has been open. I'm going to take advantage of it because it's not up to me. If I step into a ministry role and, and, and nobody joins, that's not up to me. If I lead a small group and, and nobody wants to come, that's not up to me. If I witness at work and nobody comes to Christ, that's not up to me. All I'm going to do is step through the door, be obedient, and go, okay, Jesus, you open the door. I'm going to get in the ministry. I'm going to try to witness, and I'll leave the results up to you. That's all you can do. You just be the faithful. Just be faithful. Faithful in ministry. Faithful in witnessing. Let the results be in God's hands. Amen? Hey, why don't we all stand?